I think I do have a bit of an adrenaline. Uh, it's like not an adrenaline junkie, but like I do like it a lot. Like I fucking love a motor and like, yeah, going fast and yeah. Yeah. I mean, why else would you go to a show and then show up at one in the morning last night from the airport and then get here today to do a podcast and just balls to the walls? I feel like you tell me this every year during holiday when you're like, I don't know why I do this to myself, but I feel like we're like long distance endurance athletes. We, we see how far we can push ourselves, how many projects we can yeah. take on. And I feel like that is, there's a little bit of this endurance thing. There's a little bit of this, this like adrenaline. Cause I know, I know I get it when I pack my schedule. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this stuff done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause it's all opportunity. Like it's all fun things that I want to do. Like, right. And time is something I can't buy more of. So could I rest? Sure. Will I rest eventually? That's the other thing I know is like today was going to be jam packed, but I was like, I'll get rest eventually. So I'm not like worried about it or whatever. Right. So, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the World's Okayest Entrepreneur. I am one of your hosts, Laura Sloan. I'm joined here with my co-host, Andrew Vomhoff. And yeah, I got in last night. My flight landed at 1230 a.m., was coming from Albany where I grew up. Uh, I had to connect in Atlanta because Delta removed my direct flight right during the pandemic. And so I've been having to connect ever since then. And here I am. But I was actually in upstate New York because it was kind of my great return to doing a music festival that I've done for forever. And I did about a five-year hiatus with it, but it's called the Newport Folk Festival. It's one of the oldest festivals in the United States. Might be the oldest festival in the United States. And it's gorgeous. Like it is on the ocean at this giant old fort called Fort Adams. Like you're just surrounded by water. And then it's cool because people pull up on their sailboats or like people paddleboard on the side. So they're just getting free tunes and everything like that. But everybody's in like just a great vibe and just listen to really great folk music. And it's kind of just known as this festival where everybody is so excited to be there. So and so we'll bring out this guest and then this guest and just is like stuff that doesn't happen anywhere else happens at Newport Folk Festival. So yeah, we hadn't done it for five years. And it was really fun. I got I did it with my director of operations who always wanted to do Newport Folk Festival. We had a great show. I would almost say it might be a record breaker. And it was long. It was the two of us. I mean, we did 12-hour days and stuff, but it doesn't phase me. Like, I'm tired, but I'm also like, it is what it is. It was funny, though, because before it, like, lugging the stuff and everything, I was like, I was like, this might be the end. I don't know if I'm going to do these anymore. So something I notice at every show that we do is the the thing I always kind of dread but kind of love, and this goes back to the adrenaline thing, is the load-in time. They always give you like two yeah. hours to load in and get your whole booth set up. What's the load-in time? What was your load-in time like this last weekend? So music festivals are a little different because they're already in setup mode for all of the other stuff that they have to do. So we, you have a giant window on Thursday. And the same thing is happening for my other team members. So we're, somebody on my team is leaving this weekend to go to Hinterland Music Festival and they have like all of Thursday to set up. You know, it's not going to take us, but the window is huge because they're they're setting up like the stage and like, you know, all the facilities and everything like that. Because these are like villages that pop up overnight. So that takes like a little bit coordination and everything. But yeah, no. But actually, that's funny that you say that because I am on Thursday. We're also here doing the Uptown Art Fair. Mm. And I am actually going to go set that up because we were just like with our team and resources and everything. And I was like, oh, I am banging on a setup. And like, if I'm super focused, I'm going to do an entire setup by myself in about an hour and a half. Yeah, I'd say the same thing because I've been doing the uh, Mill City Farmer's Market alone. And 
those times are like super quick. Yeah. And so I've been getting in there. I, I can probably bang it out in about 45 minutes to an hour if I really have to. Yeah. And I think it's actually like it is. It's like super stressful, but very like, like there's a lot of pride in it, but it is like, I think it's like on the drive there, you're like, you know, and then like it's done and there's like this immense pride. Right. You start going through the process of, okay, first I'm going to get in there and put all the stuff on one side so I can raise my tent and then move it over. And then it's like, then you start with a table then you start with the products or you start with the things that the products go on top of. And then you start loading the products on. And then I think the thing I always forget that takes the longest is tagging everything. And typically we'll tag before we get there, but with the milk crates, it's hard to tag before you get there because oh, yeah. they, the tags get caught on things, they rip off. So it's like, you have to tag when you get there and then you kind of get set up. And my favorite thing about that is getting set up early, early and then being able to walk around and be like, look at everybody else just trying to you know scramble, getting themselves set up. I know. I think that's fun that you say that because I think I actually was like, I was about to say like the thing that I hate is like you are go, 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 go. And then it opens and always when something opens is it's it's its slowest. And so then it's like you kind of are crashing a little bit, like your adrenaline was so high. And then it's like kind of crashing down a little bit. Like it's like any event that anybody's ever done, like if you've hosted at your store or whatever, it's like, or just like your personal life event, but you're like, go, 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 go. And then it starts. And then it's like, you almost like crash. Because I feel like every event, sometimes it can take an hour for that first sale to happen. And then you're sitting there the entire hour going like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Did, I, did I fuck this all up? And you're like, I always have to tell new vendors. I was like, don't forget, like sometimes people just want to go and peruse. They're not ready to pull the trigger yet. And once that, basically once the seal is broken, the seal's broken and things start selling. But yeah. I think a lot of people just have to do their first, I always hear that it's like the same thing. Just doing my first round, you know, I or- when people say that. Right. Or you, or while you're setting up, you have people who've been like, I want to buy this right now. I need to, I need to buy this right now. And it's like, you're like, oh, I'm trying to set up, you know, but then it's so true. It opens and then nobody wants to buy anything for the first hour. It's so true. It's always like, because it's like, I feel like you, people know it started at X or there's a line and it just takes time for people to kind of like get into this motion and everything like that. But yeah, it is like the first hour of an event is kind of the worst a little bit because yeah. people are just kind of like getting their bearings and you had to get your bearings all set up and done in like, you know, right. one hour. So yeah. as you're standing there waiting for your first sale, you forget you haven't set up your card reader yet. And so you, that first sale comes, you're like, oh shit, I haven't even oh my God, gotten my square card time. reader hooked up. So what is your best, do you have like kind of like your North Star, like your best event ever? I think our best event ever is still goes down as Renegade Chicago. What year? Do you know? What year? This would probably have been 2019. Okay. Yeah. Oh, really? Right before the pandemic? Right before the pandemic. It was our best year. Huh. It was weird. The first time we did that show... Oh, yeah. This is before we started hanging out then. Yeah. This was pre-LL. <laughs> so before we did that show, that was the first show we had three people at. It was back when we had an employee that was um, helping us sell stuff. And I remember that show, the setup was super smooth. We were all super calm. We had way more inventory than we ever thought we needed. Mm. Um, and we had gotten the inventory ready like two months in advance. We just like set it aside. Wow. Because we we were just ahead. Like we felt, we were like, everything was running so smooth in yeah. the company at that point. And then, yeah, we just had such a good show. People were just lining up, basically lining up for milk crates. And trying to think of what else we had that year that was such a popular item. I think, I think the grocery tote really started taking off too. Mm. And then was that, when did TikTok come out? That was pandemic, so it was a different time. Technically started out in 2019. Yeah, but we weren't doing TikTok then because we, we had another show after that. I think the first show after the pandemic that was really good for us. Yeah. That someone came up to us and was like, you're trending on TikTok. And we're like, TikTok? What do you mean? They're like trending on TikTok. We don't have TikTok. <laughs> They're like, yeah. 
somebody did a TikTok show of your your products and like everyone that day came and bought a milk crate because they saw them on TikTok. I was like, wow, that's awesome. But yeah, Renegade Chicago is always our favorite because it's this giant street fair in Chicago. I think it's like seven or eight blocks, right? Six yeah. blocks. And they take it over for two days and it's typically really great with the exception of last year when it, we, it yeah. was great for day one, but right, day two, there was a monsoon and it was like uh, trying to trying to sell in a flood. Yeah. I did not last that one. My tent collapsed and um, yeah. Yep. I have a picture of me popping a giant, it looked like me popping a giant pimple of water oh, yeah. my tent and just had collapsed the entire metal and yeah. And then I just was like, fuck it. And I left and went home and yeah. <laughs> it was funny because we had all gone out for breakfast that morning and we walked past our booth at like, you know, 7.30 a.m. Everything looked great. You know, no, no rain. It was maybe a little overcast. Yeah. We got a table for breakfast. And as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, like the rain started and it just, it buckets, buckets of rain. Imagine somebody just taking a five gallon bucket, but hundreds of them and just dropping it in place. Yeah. And it was like that. It's when you see on the rain gauge or whatever, the meteorologist is like, it rained like two inches in one hour. That's one of those rains where you're like, that's a lot of rain. That's a bit aggressive. It's funny because they, they were even showing like all of Chicago news, even national news yeah. was talking about how much rain Chicago got and that there was a football game that day with the Bears and the Bears were literally like doing slip and slide on the field because it was it was just flooded. Yeah. And then there were there were even sewer lines that were exploding out like <laughs> like 50 feet in the air because there was so much water pressure. Yeah. Cars were being flipped over. It was hilarious. Yeah. my Yeah. Kind of. I didn't make it. So uh, do you have like, I know this is tricky because even when I'm reflecting on it, I don't know, but do you have one of your like lowest point shows or like, so kind of we talked about the high, high. What about the low, low? I think we did a show. So we did a show that just wasn't the right fit. We did like a, mm. we did a festival. I don't know if I should say which festival it was because I think a lot of people do well at it, but we did a, fe a festival in a rural area. And we immediately got the sense that we just didn't quite fit in. Like this mm -hmm. was more of like a craft, crafty craft fair. Yeah. So a lot more like home goods, um, things like cribbage boards. And I guess to, to paint the picture, we had somebody, our, the booth across us was, was selling bamboo pillows and bamboo sheets that they were importing from China. Yeah. And like they were killing it. Like yeah. people were, were literally walking around with shopping carts. I don't know where they got them, <laughs> but getting bamboo pillows. And Hannah and I, we just did not fit in. Like this was very rural and we were like, and you want to buy this wooden milk crate? And people were like, wooden milk crate? I got about 10 of those in my truck that are made of plastic. Why would I spend a, you know, at the time, why would I spend $60 on a plastic or on a wooden milk crate? I was like, little did they know. Inflation. Know. Yeah. Little did they know. Yeah. Inflation's going to come around. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. I actually, it's so funny because I give this advice, but rarely overtake it myself, which is the, you should always walk a festival before you do it, which is really good advice. Do I take that advice? No, because I'm always like, well, you're going to learn something from doing this festival, whatever. But just because somebody does a show that is good for them does not mean it's going to be good for you. Right. I think we've learned that quite a bit as well. So I typically like, I mean, you even sent us some shows where I was like, I don't know if it's going to be as good because I, a lot of our friends who are jewelers yeah. say they might have a good show, but we may not have a good show because our stuff is huge. Yeah. Like I said in the beginning of this, like we do music festivals and for us, music festivals are great. But it's like, I think the biggest thing is that you have got to, I think this is the biggest thing in all, whether it's an event or marketing is get into that buyer persona, like put yourself there at a music festival. 
People do bring cash. Let me tell you, be very clear. People are ready to spend money, but they are not ready to carry things because they are going from stage to stage. And the other thing is like you, music festivals, you gotta look fucking cute, you know, and everything like that. So jewelry is perfect for this. Like um, people forget stuff. Like I do think like, you know, if you have a bag, like fanny packs or whatever, something to help people carry, but not obtrusive. Like they don't want a bigger thing. It's like a very small thing that they can attach to them, you know? Those are things that typically do well at music festivals. But yeah, if you've got something giant to haul, probably not gonna like, or it needs to be very music related, you know? But I guess it's something I've always thought about if we did a music festival again, is that we should figure out a way to ship. Just to get people to buy the item and say, we're going to ship it to you. But you don't have to lug it around. And I'm not going to expect you to come back to remember because you're at a music festival. There's probably a lot of drinking, maybe some drugs. They're not going to remember. It's going to be a nightmare. But if we could just ship things to them, maybe. But Yeah, and I think for you, I am a little bit like, I'm still a little bit bullish. Like, I think you could still do well at a music festival because of the fact that you have an item that directly ties to music being the milk crate with the records and everything. I think it's just really making sure that it is what music festival has the crowd that buys records still. You know, there is a certain person that buys records and there's a certain person that does not buy records. What type of music festival has the type of people that buy records, you know? Right. Because, I mean, so many people do digital now, so maybe I need to make myself a little iPhone milk crate. Hold your iPhone in. <laughs> I got it. I need a little bit more time with that, but I don't hit that. I'm like, come here. But yeah, no, I think that is. I mean, but I do think that you and I have talked about it before, like even really bad shows still can have value if you're willing to receive that value. Oh, totally. I mean, I think I've had shows where I've had such low sales that I'd never made, I didn't make very much money or even enough to cover the trip. But what ended up coming out of that show was like a huge customer that ended up, you know, that we ended up getting. No, I think that's like the biggest thing is that I'm always when a show is slow, I do try to network with people, which is a blessing and a curse. And I only say it like that because it's like, you still don't want to ignore the potential for customer and sales. So you can't just completely like peace out from your booth and just like put up a sign that says like, come find me or whatever, you know? So it's a little bit, I always kind of refer to like working an event while trying to meet people is a little bit like how I feel like when I'm a parent and an adult, it's like I'm present, but I'm not present. So you're not going to go like super deep with people, but you're at least gonna, you can do like kind of the cursory, like you know, what events have you done? Are these good? But yeah, also like I just said, like he, the advice of what's good for one person may not be good for you, you know, do a little bit more of your own, do your research and like, what is that buyer persona persona that's going to this event and everything. But yeah, I think it's really good. You get to interface with your customers. I think the biggest thing that we always forget is brand awareness. And like, what is your lifetime value on a customer? Like there's still so many events, like I guess I I will say this. I kind of feel like for the longest time, people were like, you are the event queen. Like you are at everything. And I mean, I think there was a time when we were doing 30 plus events a year pre-pandemic. I mean, we were (laughs) nothing like the pandemic to come and tell you. Like I was like, we're diversified. We're diversified by only being in person. And so, but I mean, yeah, there was a time we were doing about like 30 events, but even still with that, like I'd always find people that did not know that we existed right here in the Twin Cities, like had no fucking clue that we were a brand like in their back door. I think that's the interesting thing is that when you hear that people haven't heard of you, when you feel like everyone's saying they see you everywhere, 
I think that what that tells me is that's an unlock for me to say like, oh, well, my products still have relevance somebody, somewhere. There's still somebody I can sell these things to. And that it's the, the thing I've always worried about is that I'm going to sell all the products that I have to as many people as will own them. And then there won't be a market for them anymore. But when I hear that somebody hasn't seen me or heard from me, I'm like, great, awesome. There's still potential here. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is like brand awareness, like especially if it's in a market that you're trying to... If you know it is a market that is either performs really well for you or has the potential to perform well, like the data, like you're shipping a bunch of orders there or something like that. I think that is important. Like we recently did this big brand audit and it was interesting because our biggest market is by far the Midwest. No surprise there. Our second biggest market is actually the East Coast. It wasn't the West Coast. See, ours is the opposite. We're the West Coast, but that's we kind of just started doing fairs out out west, so we we got that brand recognition. But it wasn't until we went to say Nashville that we started getting some of that like southeast orders coming in a lot, like the Kentuckys, the Tennessees, the Carolinas. Yeah, well, and I guess it's like we do ship orders to the West Coast. Like one of some of our biggest like wholesale accounts used to be in the Pacific Northwest. But I wasn't looking at every physical or like actually aggregating year over year, like pulling the data and then looking for the trends. And it was it was an East Coast trend that we didn't even realize. So I think that's like really important to analyze sometimes is like, especially it's very fun to do these types of projects. They take a bit of time, um, but to do them like, you know, maybe once a year is like, okay, because it's actually changed every single year of like where were our hotspots for shipping and everything. Like it was actually in 2021. Omaha? Omaha. I was still, I actually like to have a healthy distrust of that data a little bit too, where I'm like, Omaha seems really weird. Or I do need to dig into it because what the hell? Why were we shipping so much to Omaha that it trended as one of our top five places that we shipped? Do you worry sometimes though, that if you plant the lightning rod where lightning struck that you're, that it's not going to strike there again? I don't know, that's, but it's actually how a lot of stores do typically end up opening other locations is that like, so if X business, what they will do is they'll pull their data and be like, where are we shipping to the most? Because that's like, that's obviously your customer saying that you have product market fit in that area so that you want to. And that's actually like, we're starting to think about opening up a second location. And so we're starting to analyze the data, but I'm very much so like, I want it to serve me too. So like, I'm very much so I have a buy. Like there's people on my team that are like, well, if we opened up a location here, I would probably like, I wouldn't be opposed to moving or overseeing it or whatever. And my, my, I myself too. So I think it's always like 100%, like would we open up a place where we ship zero orders? No. So it has to be a little bit of two things being true at the same time. Like, does it need to be the top second location? No, but does it need to be kind of close? Yeah. Like our second actually, uh, besides Minneapolis, the second place that we ship the most is Chicago, actually. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense and everything. That's still very Midwest, but yeah. But yeah. So going back to events though. Right. Is there a strategy then, if you're thinking about events, is there a strategy where, I guess I look at it as there's places that I haven't sold anything to and I need to show face there to see if I can get drum up some business. But then there's also meeting people, meeting the people that I'm shipping a lot to. So I, I guess I sometimes balance those two events, like well, go to California, the West Coast, because I know I can sell there. But then I also go to Nashville where I haven't had any orders. And then I find out that I'm selling things there and I'm opening up a new market. I think it's a little bit is like, there's two things that have to be true for events is that you also have to find a place that is putting on a really great event, mm. which is a whole other thing because events, I just don't believe, events are not what they once were. Right. It's not kind of, it's not really the thing. If you make it, they will come. It's like, you have to get it. 
drum up some business. You have to get people interested in being there. And they're not special anymore. That's the thing. It was like, a, there was a time post Etsy where like craft events, like kind of the indie craft fair, it was having a moment. Like, I mean, it just was having a moment. They were kind of popping up everywhere and then they got really exciting. And I kind of call it this is like, there was Etsy, which was like the craft revolution. Right. And you it know, brought an awareness that people are actually making things and selling cool things. Right. And that there was a way to do that. And so then I think probably a lot of really great entrepreneurs were like, let's bring this into an in-person setting. So let's do the, like the indie craft fair movement then. So the indie craft fair movement happens and then brewery movement happens where breweries are all of a sudden like, oh, well, now we're having a brewery movement. I have space and I need people to come to this space. And so then breweries just started having craft fairs all the time. And I have to say, I actually think that it was too much for the industry because it just became like too many small craft events, like small and it just became oversaturated. And then people's just analysis, too many, too much of a good thing. And so it just became really not special. So now you really have to have like a craft event that is like, truly well curated, you know, super special, has all the bells and whistles. Like I get to walk around with like a cocktail and then maybe you even have some live music for me or whatever and like a workshop or whatever. Like you kind of have to give the person everything to make them want to go because it just became not special enough anymore. But I think there's sometimes a balance at shows where I feel like if there's too many workshops or too much food or too much, too much drinks or things like yeah. options for people to drink, that they're just going to walk around and like, you don't become the focus anymore. The, the crafters are just an accessory to the, the thing, just an accessory to the brewery or the, an accessory to this food event or an accessory to this like free workshop yeah. you get to do by being there. Whereas there is a balance. I see, I see a, lot of, a lot of these uh, events coordinators trying to, trying to strike and some do it really well and some maybe don't do it as well because it, I, I notice sales dip if there's like too many free things that people get. Yeah. And maybe it's not like the free, but I mean, I do think you have to have something more than just like the craft event because there literally is so many. Like for us, like we never did well at LA Renegade. And I partially think because there's just too much to fucking do in LA. There's so much amazing stuff to do every day in LA. Why would you go to a craft fair, you know? I was told that it's because some people say that like rent is too high there and everyone's struggling to be an actor anyway. So there's not a lot of money to be spent. But, and that's why they were saying, that's why they were saying San Francisco was so good was because there's a lot of people there who just have expendable income. Even though the rent is high, people are making a bunch of money. People are making a bunch of money in LA too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we actually had some of our, another, again, some of our other best customers we've gotten were from shows in LA. Even though we yeah. didn't maybe make as much money, we got some of our best customers there. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's interesting. I think like what you would have to do is like look at the demographic of like age. Typically like expendable income comes at a certain time in your career where I feel like LA is a little bit of like, I move there when I'm younger because I'm starting out. Whereas San Francisco is like, I'm the Bay Area is a bit more like <laughs> I did the LA thing and now I moved up to the Bay Area. Totally. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, come after me, California, for these statements. I could be wrong, but that's how it looks like to me. Yeah, please correct us if we're wrong. I mean, I think I think about expendable income. I know Minneapolis, the Minneapolis area has has like a pretty large. It's like a pretty large expendable income. As I, I forget which article, I read an article saying like Minneapolis is actually one of the, like they have like the highest per capita of people making a lot of money. But I feel like when we're in the Midwest, something we've always noticed is that it's a little harder to sell things at full. Price. Midwest is like terrible. People have so much fucking money here and they do not spend it. They are thrifty shoppers. Thrifty. Like they, 
They want it on sale and like, I mean, and I get it. I'm like, I'm oscillating. Like as I've gotten older, I'm like, if I really just like it and it's good quality, I'm just going to buy it or whatever. But I'll search for that 10% off coupon code for a hot second, you know, but it is very much so the frugality is in the Minnesota mindset and it makes it hard as a business here for sure. Runs Runs deep in the culture here. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because one of the people that we've had from our team that lived in L.A. and then moved back here, she her first time into the shop, she was like suspicious because she was like the prices were a little too cheap because of where she was in L.A. But 100 percent, we've gotten reviews on like Google and everything that have been like, this shop's cute, but it's a little too expensive. You know, I mean, in like our everything is like majority of it's between 20 and 50 dollars i mean and then some stuff is maybe closer to 100 but that's like the fine gold jewelry and everything so i'm just like hey it's just in like and the people writing that probably are loaded with money oh totally i mean compared to maybe like a kohl's or something like that it's maybe a little more expensive yeah i know so do you have any tips or hacks that you do when you do an event like that kind of make it easier or better that you're like, I bet this would be an unlock for people if they knew this is how I do it? Oh, boy. I'd say look busy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing. Um, when there's downtime, don't just stand in your booth or don't just, I guess, don't just sit there in your booth. I think a lot of, I see a lot of makers will just sit in their booth and they won't engage. They won't look available. And there is a balance there because you do want to give people the space to, to shop but you don't also want to just like let them go. Like start a conversation. I have a friend who's really good at this. He can, he's like got the gift of the gab. Yeah. And he's like, I was just pick out like a nice accessory somebody's wearing. And I, I pointed out to them, like, I love that t-shirt or those shoes are sweet or yeah. funny hat. Right. And I, I think that's a good way to get people in to make people feel comfortable and start a conversation. And if you're just sitting in your booth with your head down to your phone, you're never going to have those conversations. And you're typically not going to get anybody into your booth. Cause I think a lot of times a sale happens if you get somebody to talk to you because they kind of feel bad if they have a good conversation. They're in a way they're not going to leave your booth. They're not going to leave your booth without talking to you or like without buying something. Because like, man, I had this really good conversation. I should probably buy something from this person. Yeah, can I grab a lunch bag? No, it's so true. The conversation. I have to say, um, it happened to me once. It was actually when I was still doing Mill City's Farmers Market. Uh, there's a lavender vendor there and I picked something up and he was like, you obviously have great taste. And I have used that line now so much because it was such the biggest compliment that I was like, I do have great taste. And so when somebody comes up, especially if they're wearing our jewelry already and they walk up to the booth, I get to say like, I'm like, well, I already know you obviously have great taste, you know? And they're like so flattered and it's true. Like, I mean, like you picked out my product before or whatever, but like, you know, or if somebody comes up and they're wearing like a certain outfit, I'm can I'll just be like, yeah, you get this brand. Like, you know, I'm your vibe or whatever. Kind of like that confirmation and stuff like that. But right. inviting people in, I think is the important part. So I always see somebody just like looking at a thing from a distance, kind of like eyeing it up. And I'm like, you know, feel free to touch it. Touching's free. Yeah. <laughs> Touching's free. I know. Sounded... <laughs> oh, we might workshop that one. We'll workshop that one a little bit. It's fine. We'll leave it in. Yeah. I think actually, so one of my biggest unlocks that I do, and I tell my team this all the time, is put your tables up to the fucking edge of your tent or like when you're outside or anything like that. Like people hate having to feel like they have to walk into something. It is this like level of commitment that it's like, it's like too committed. So like if they can like scan your booth on like the peripheral edge, like that's huge. So we'll either always buy a corner or we'll just design the booth so it just is up to the edge. Like we'll just bring one of our eight foot tables because even though I have all of that square footage in the back of the booth, 
I just know that people aren't going to walk it. So it's better for me actually to have less square footage and get it out in front of the customer than it is for me to just try to display everything, but they have to walk into the booth. Always, if you have an option, buy a corner. Always. Really, it's, it's location, location, location. Yeah. It's real estate. You, you can keep people's interest that much longer. And then it also gives you that space for people to rest. Yeah. And they end up resting next to, that, to your booth sometimes, but you still have the other side. Instead of like having people to like, like rest just in front of your booth. Yeah, no, a corner is like always worth the investment all the time. 10 out of 10 would recommend like every booth. Like, yeah, 100%. You should always just get a corner. I mean, I think the other things that I think about when that are big on locks that people might not think about is like, well, A, just like the ease of like make your pro. It's tricky. I f- see these beautiful setups, but they're so complicated. And I'm just like, how does that feel to be like setting up your booth for four hours and then tearing it down for four hours? Like put some time into thinking about how can I make this so impactful, but easy. Don't forget you have two hours. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the one thing I know you bought it because like we got it first, but we have these giant like pop-up banners. They're actually like, you can find them on Etsy. They primarily like for kid, like photo backdrops for like photo booth things, but we just then designed them with our brand on it. I mean, I just flew with these things. Like they pack down like to nothingness. Like there's these tubes that they click into each other. And then, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it takes you like five minutes to set it up. Yeah, that's been a huge unlock for us for flying is like, I saw that you guys had those and I was like, those look really nice. Those, they, they feel a little bit different. It's just not this typical thing. And so we flew with them originally. And what it's helped is as we do more of these solo shows, it's really helped me get that, get that get the display up because we had this kind of complicated display before we had to screw everything together, which Hell is- yeah, I saw that it was complicated. Which is great. And I have the ability to do it and we can get it up pretty fast, almost as fast as the other thing, but you need two people sometimes. Yeah. And so when when the impact, I'm, I've been weighing on these last few shows, like the impact of having the old display, which is a little more complicated to put together versus this much easier one. And I'm probably always going to go with the easiest one now because then I can just get it set up. I yeah. Get going. So I'm not stressed out. Because I think the biggest thing is like a really good- a good booth display, totally. Like it does like impact and everything. But at the end of the day, it's your product that they're buying. So let your product shine. Like let your booth, don't make, don't neglect your booth. That is 100% I am not saying. Like, but I would like, it is so important. Go walk around events and pick out what is, is it at certain booths that you're like, why am I gravitating to this? Like what is about this is saying like, I want to buy this or whatever. I mean, 10 times out of 10, it's because it's in my face. Like, that's why I say, like, always push it out to the side. But it's a lot of time, like, let your product shine, too, you know? like Don't let your booth outshine your product. Yeah, because they're there to buy your product at the end of the day. So I think that's, like, the biggest thing. And then, yeah, one thing that I never see people do that drives me insane is they never have an email list sign up. Oh, my God, people. Like, put out a clipboard with a pen and get those emails. Um... We used to not do that. Like, I think of the years that I didn't do that. Like, I pay so much money now online to get somebody's email. Listen, there, there, just putting out a pen. So I actually have to say sometimes, like, when an event's been crappy, like, because the lifetime value for a customer of us is, like, $150. So I always like to joke whenever I, like, fill up a sheet with signups. I'm like, look at that. That's, like, $3,000 right there, you know? Totally. So I do think that, like, and they make it easy. Like, for a hot second, we were like, oh, do this like QR code thing. And like, that's, it's too many barriers. It's too obtrusive. People don't get it. What do people get? They get like a fucking board that you put on a table that says, 
sign up for my newsletter, you know, and yeah. Totally. And you, you know, they want you to email them then. They signed up. They want you to email them 100%. And then another hack with that, like, don't forget to write a few emails on there beforehand so people so know what to do. True. Well, it's also like, I think nobody wants to be the first. So yeah, like every single, it's actually everybody knows here is like the first email is actually not our, it's just like a made up email. Totally. Sometimes it's my email, you know, and it's so funny because it even says Larissa at Larissa Loden and that's on the Larissa Loden email sign up. Nobody knows. Like they just don't read, you know, they're not like, which is so true. Like I'm not ever like if I was to sign up on a, a pop-up event thing, I'm not like, oh my God. So yeah, <laughs> like look at whose emails are on here. So one thing I wanted to talk about that I, I guess we haven't really talked about as much is how awesome it is for community. Like, yeah, I think the shows that we've been to, I think we've met most of our best friends that we have from shows. I think I, at a certain point, Hannah and I were talking about like, it doesn't really matter where we live in this country. Because all of our best friends live outside of Minnesota anyway. Yeah. Like for the most part, like a lot of, a lot of the people we've met at these shows end up becoming the people we spend the most time with. Because you see when you go through these holiday seasons with them, everyone's struggling, everyone's trying to get it done. And it's like, there's this camaraderie that comes of it. And then it's those relationships you form in those moments that end up being your closest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, it's interesting because like my brand is at this weird phase where we're going to probably start doing less and less events. Kind of like because what I was hinting at before is like the monetary investment isn't there quite there like what it used to be just because there's just not as many good ones. Like you do see the like there's craft fairs that are just not doing their thing anymore. And it's not me doing it anymore, which is funny because it's like when you do it, you don't ever calculate your time into doing the event. But now that I have to pay employees, like that's very much so part of the factor, which is really interesting because for some reason, my time is worth zero dollars when it's actually worth the most amount of money. But I do calculate my employees time. But it is something that is like, a. I do think about the people that I've met doing it. And that's why I'm not saying like we're not doing them anymore. But it kind of has to be an event that like maybe we already have friends there or it's like a music event that kind of fills your soul. Like it kind of has to do more. It has to do more than just be revenue Mm -hmm. is kind of where we're at at the moment. So like, yeah, at the moment, we're not going to do any holiday events. Um, All of the, the travel is logistically can be quite cumbersome being from Minnesota, you know, like snowstorms, canceled flights, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'll be honest, Minnesota just really has a an, a really rough holiday market scene in the winter. Like, so we're just going to focus on our store. Right. It's a little unfortunate because there's so much creative energy here. So much. It is. It feels like a loss. And then I was like, oh, 100%. I'm always like, maybe I'm the person that needs to do this. Like, we had like a pop-up event at our store last year. And actually, overall, people really liked it. We had a llama and everything like that. Like, we went for it, you know, as I do. Like, you know, just full send. Let's go. There's so much response. I mean, maybe that's why people have stopped doing cross events is because there, it just feels like to me is like such a, so much responsibility. Like if the event didn't go well for somebody, I like take it so personally. Like I'm the reason that you didn't have a good event, which is not the true statement at all, you know, but it feels like that. So right. it's, I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot. I think there's not enough people at events who realize how much work goes into it in the background. Oh gosh, and how, so much work. Right. And how much, how much stress it is actually on the people running the event to make it go well for you. Because if it doesn't, they hear about it. And I can't imagine having to go through every email and put out all those fires for each event. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like, you know, when we hosted it, like I tried to be very explicit, like I need you to be posting on social media like this much and everything like that. And the majority of the people did and everything, but it's like, everybody needs to do it. And it's funny because even myself, sometimes when we do an event, like our social media calendar is already so packed with all of these other things that sometimes we don't post. And it's like tricky because you post when you're there, but that's already like too late a little bit, you know, like to tell your people or whatever. It's just, it's just events are tricky. They are super great and super terrible all at the same time, you know, like, and so do I think you should always try events though? Yeah, I do, actually, because I think you learn so much from learning how to sell your product, networking, you know, with other vendors, like building your community. Like if I was only a digital brand, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because I feel like I've learned so much just from talking to my customers as well. And actually having having a face to face conversation with somebody who's buying my products and seeing how they're actually interacting with it. And the, I mean, the funny thing that I always notice is I, I see all the mistakes that I've made on my products where it's like, I, I got these to as good as they can be. Yeah. And my customers never see those. They're always like, this is so beautiful. You know, yeah. I'm like, you know, it actually makes you feel a little better about what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is such value in interfacing with your customer, especially like somebody like me that I don't work in my shop. Like, you know, we have people. So it's really important for me to kind of get that feedback sometimes. Just hits me a little bit more home. Like, I, you know, I just say like sometimes I've got a thick skull and you just got to really like me looking at somebody face to face. Like there's like a pair of earrings we have that hits crazy. We kind of joked that it was like the Newport Folk Festival earring because there was a store she ended up closing during the pandemic. But I mean, she was buying maybe like 20 pairs of these earrings a month. And I mean, when we were at Newport Folk Festival, I mean, we saw 50 pairs of these earrings like out and about like it was insane. But this was back in the beginning days of the brand when we were primarily using brass, which brass is kind of this like interesting metal where it's like it's super affordable. So brand builds on affordability. So that's a great, you know, but it oxidizes. And man, when you're out by the ocean. Wow. So these things looked rough. And all we wanted to do was I was like, oh my God, we want to like clean these. And so we were just like, we're not going to get rid of the earring, but we're not like it hit home for me. I was like, let's just gold plate this earring. Like just because it still sells well, doesn't mean I can't improve upon it and make it even better. So yes, all of our Rhode Island customers, gold plate eclipse earrings are going to happen. So yeah. Right. And you never would have known that had you done a show. No, I never would have. And it was fun too. Like, I mean, I got to see music. I got to also spend a lot of time with somebody on my team. Like, I think that's the other valuable thing too, is like going to events, be it with your partner or like a friend. Like, I mean, the person on my team that's about to go do a music festival, she's bringing two of her friends, you know? Like, are they all working? Yeah. But they also like get to go do this fun thing together. Like I actually, I personally like doing music festivals as a vendor. I fucking love it. I have this giant tent. I get to bring in all of my snacks. And just like do my thing, you know? So yeah. Right. When Hannah and I have done these road trips in the past, it like you're driving 28 hours across country together. And it's always for us, we always looked forward to that car ride because we get so much done, like whether it was work-wise, but just the conversations you could yeah. have throughout that process. And inevitably when we'd leave, typically we'd get like these huge projects. We'd be able to like workshop those in the car on the way there and on the way back. But for us, it almost like subsidized our vacation time. Like we, we stopped taking vacations because we owned our own business. But those trips that we were taking, those road trips we were taking ended up becoming our vacations. And we started finding places along the way. Like there's this little bar and restaurant in Wyoming that we always stop at and we're regulars at. And the bartender knows us by name and knows what our drink is when we go there because we'd go back and forth so often that we'd always stop. And she'd be like, oh, it's Hannah and Andrew. She's like, 
Old fashions. Old fashions, right? <laughs> or actually at that at that place they didn't really do old fashions, so we'd always do a rock and a shot. <laughs> okay, got it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But they always had the best burgers. It was like this little this little gas station that they converted into a restaurant. Yeah. It was perfect. No, I do. I just think that they just like they just switch it up a little bit. That's where I think that we'll continue to do them, but do uh, do less better. Right. I feel I feel you on that. Like I, I feel like I've sometimes been oscillating between this idea of do we continue to do events or do we put that money into Facebook ads or something like that? But then I think about how much how much how much value there is in just seeing the people that I like to see and then just maybe maybe just picking the best shows that I like to go to versus trying to do them all. I think it's picking the best shows because I will have to say that doing Facebook ads allows you that is like a net positive of like the it allows you um runway so that you don't feel like you have to be chasing events like I just was I was an in-person brand and I can't buy more time but I can buy more space on Facebook to show more people because it's just purely like good content and then how much money you want to spend the more money you spend the more money that more people Mark Zuckerberg's going to put you in front of you know it's just a that's just unit economics right and I think a lot of times we have a hard time putting money into those Facebook ads because we think about how much money that is. But when you think about how much a show costs, so typically the yeah. shows are eight to $900 just for the booth. And yeah. then there's the gas to get there or the flight to get there. And then there's the hotel rooms. For some of these shows, you're up. And the people that you're not paying yourself, that you actually, that is so much time. Right, the time. I mean, I think when Hannah and I were driving across country, that's seven days. Yeah. Because you have two days to get there, two days to get back, two days for a show. And then like what the one day, if something breaks, something doesn't work out to get there. And so that's your time that you've also put into it that costs money. And, you know, you could be spending three to $5,000 on some of these shows, but if you were to actually just take that three to $5,000 and dump it into Facebook ads, I promise you, you will see results. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, I think it's what I've been thinking over reflecting about a lot about this is like why specifically the maker community um, does not do paid media so like digital ads and everything and I think it's because it's very understandable like the I have a table I put my product on there and I exchange money whereas you will need to learn how to you either need to pay somebody to implement your Facebook ads and or learn how to implement it yourself like there is a little level of strategy but there's so much time and energy that you spend researching trade shows applying to them and doing all of that kind of stuff and like if you just took those hours and reinvested it into learning to do paid media or finding a right paid media person or making really great content. It's a wash for sure. But the one is exponentially like scalable, whereas the other one, it has a capacity point. But I guess I wouldn't say to dump all of your resources into Facebook ads because you never really want to. I guess I, I how I look at it is I would still try to do some in-person shows. I think it's like a little bit. I think the big brand that um, I was researching recently, which is True Classic, which is this like really great t-shirt brand that they're coming after you for Facebook ads just because of me saying this on here. They scaled literally to a nine figure business. So when I say nine figures, I mean like $100 million in four years. And it was just all on meta ads. Like you would never, ever, ever. And now it's interesting because now they're adding on uh, in-person brick and mortar stores kind of for brand awareness and everything. So would I say like, don't not, but would I say, fuck, yeah, you should be doing some sort of paid media 100% because you're not, you will never be able to grow to like 
if growth is what you want, you'll never be able to grow with events like that. Just 100% not. And I think a lot of makers have told themselves this story that Facebook ads or that space is for more like spammy brands, like um, trying to, th- I don't even know if I have an example, but I think I was telling myself that story for a while. Like it was mm-hmm. like for like digital, digital ads, like digital ads for like a company that's not making anything. It's, it's basically like for an app. Yeah. That's what ad- those ads were for. But the more and more lately I've been seeing some more bespoke brands that are, that yeah. are showing up that I was like, oh, I never would have have even seen these had they not showed up on my feed? And then I go and look at like how many followers do they have? And it's like, oh, they only have like 900 followers. Like this is like, this is a bespoke brand that's just starting to do Facebook ads, but they're completely obscure. They're this small company from Tennessee or something like that. So I think that's like the biggest thing. And we didn't know this and I don't think a lot of people know this, but so you can, it's just, if you Google meta ads library, and then you can search a brand's name and then you can see what ads they have live currently. And that's a super helpful because it will tell you who is advertising and who's not advertising, but it'll also tell you like what their ads are. Like, so you can kind of start understanding in your competition, like what kind of ads are they running? And like, you know, I wouldn't say that tells you that all of those ads are running great. I mean, the biggest thing is like, it'll tell you by when that ad was launched. And if an ad was launched like more than a month ago, that tells you that is a top quality ad because they're keep on going to it. Like, so we test ads weekly. And if an ad isn't performing, we just don't give it spend. But we have some ads that have been running for months now. And that's because it's a, it is performing, like the data is saying that. So it's just a test. But this is where I think it's interesting is like, to, there's this mental model for some reason that testing on ads is bad, but testing on events is, there's more pride in it. I in think that, so. In that make your mindset, which is so fucked up because it's so much like, time and effort. Like I just said to all of these things are all super great, like, you know, networking and brand awareness and all of this kind of stuff. What they can, it's like, why is this is a little easier over here? And it just takes a little money reinvestment. But man, like I just see so many people, like I tell them like I'm doing this and man, I just see people like the resistance against this thing is so strong. I think it's because people see Facebook as bad sometimes. Like we're we're all being told that it's, it's destroying us slowly. But if you think about the thing that the important thing you just said is you said, Basically, we go to these events for networking and for product to sell our product, but you can go to Facebook for networking and to sell your product. It's like the the duality between those two things is super. I think it's also weird. just confirmation bias um, is like a me out there. There's only like one or two of them, but like you and I can think of a, like a hundred people that we've that do events that don't do ads, you right. know, even if it's as much as just putting on their Instagram that they're going to be somewhere. Yeah. I mean, and so I think that's like, I don't know. I think it would be interesting if way more people did ads, like if a lot more people would not fight it. It just is because it's so much unknown. You know, I think people are just like, oh my God, but it's very figure outable. So. Right. Right. Okay. I think we're going to get to the end of concluding. This yeah. Podcast. We're on the deep end now. We're on the, the deep thing. end. Yeah. We went from trade shows to now like ads. So yes. Welcome to the deep end. Of Welcome today's. to the deep end. Yes. So yeah. So with that, I hope you all found this episode informational or at least hilarious because it was kind of fun for us to talk about the high highs and low lows and kind of where we're currently at with events and everything so send us some of your high high and low lows of doing events so we would love to read a couple of them i think on the pod or share them on social media that would be super fun yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll jump in with an ama yeah i would love to do an ama sometime so yeah Let us know. And then, yes, uh, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And make sure that you also give us a like and a follow on Instagram or TikTok. And yeah, we'll see you next Monday. Have an okay week. Have an okay week.